0: thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in.
1: You're all being way too social and friendly. Knock that off. No, I'm just kidding. Good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, no, I, I actually have some very, very dear friends of mine at the Vineyard in Phoenix, and every time I look at the national weather, and it's like 118 there, I always text them and make fun of them. Now they're texting me to make fun of me. <laughs> what is going on? What is happening with us? And hey, if you're freezing right now, I'm sorry. (laughs) When we came in this morning, I cranked the air. I turned it back up a little bit because it was getting pretty cold. But it was hot in here. I just thought we should cool things down. Uh, Also, I wanted to just, uh, again, say about baptism. Rennie mentioned baptism. Um, If you have never been baptized... Or I know there are a lot of folks who possibly were baptized as infants or small children in different traditions and maybe either have forgotten that or don't don't have memory or, or maybe it wasn't really a meaningful or conscious thing. And I would mention to parents with kids that are uh, getting older, any of those categories, if you would like to be baptized or you're interested in getting baptized, come see me. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it and work that stuff through. Uh, you know, we, we really, there's, the Scripture talks about the age of accountability for kids. Uh, in our estimation, that is determined between the parents and the kids. So, if you know, if, if you uh, thinking about having one of your kids baptized, or would like to be, uh, then come and see me, and we'll talk about it. I think it would be uh, appropriate and good for the most part for that for that to happen. So, do that. And again, welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, glad you're there this morning. If you're home, it's been uh, just wild time, crazy week. A heat wave and everything and people are, you know, it's just wild, but, uh, we, we have, it's really awesome to be able to continue to serve our community we've had our uh, food pantry open every week which is always a blessing for us and for our community and i was talking to rennie this morning about uh, something we haven't done in a long time which is we used to do to go bags of of food and supplies that you could take from here and hand out to people that you see that are homeless either on the freeway ramp or something like that and we have been out of those forever but we're going to we're going to next month we're going to put some of those together and have that Re implemented into our system. So that'll, that'll be a, a, a real blessing for some of us too. So uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. We've been working through Ephesians slowly uh, for, I think, I don't know how long, almost a year maybe. We're in chapter five though. Uh, we've been in chapter five for, for like two months. Uh, not really, but it, we are going slow. But today, check this out we, we're going to cover nine verses. I I know a whopping nine verses this morning. Um, I am going to. Last week we read chapter five through verse seven, uh, but we didn't really. I I didn't talk about verses six and seven, and I want to back up and do that. uh, Look at verses six and seven, and then we'll move forward for verses eight through fourteen. But before that, our title this morning. Is out of the darkness into the light. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll we'll dive right in. Father, thanks so much for just the opportunity to be together. It, it really, I am just uh, amazed once again. Just the the, the blessing of being in the presence of God and of one another and what it means to to be together, to see uh, each other's faces and to know the support, the encouragement, the love, the community that we have together in you. So I just thank you for that this morning. My heart is full uh, just to see uh, folks here today in the midst of uh, a, di- a different and difficult kind of week for us with the heat and everything. So we just thank you. We bless you. We honor you. We give you glory. Uh, we pray you would open your word to us this morning, that it really would just speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, let's just, uh, like I said, look at verses six and seven again. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Wow! Uh, last week, if you remember verses one through five, there was sort of a list of different behaviors that are improper for God's holy people. Uh, and and now to to continue that thought, Paul says that God's wrath will come on those who are disobedient. That's kind of that's, that's a tough sort of verse. I mean, um, we talk a lot about God's love, about, you know, about God's grace. God is a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. God is love. So how do we square that up? How do we, you know, God is love. And here we're talking about God's wrath. Uh, you know, when I read God's wrath it kind of conjures up all sorts of images and ideas in my mind. So I'm just curious, play a little game. Uh, What do you guys think of when you think of God's wrath? What what comes to mind? Anybody? Say again. Oh, locusts. Anybody else? What? I can't hear you. Oh, the flood, the flood. Okay. What else? You just tr- rather not think about it. No, it's good. Uh, you know, I—I I mean, really, in my mind, when I hear that, maybe not as much today, but throughout my history, you know, as a young Christian, certainly, I, I would—I would just picture God just squishing people like ants, you know, uh, or as um, Jonathan Edwards so famously said, uh, God dangling sinners over the pit of hell like a spider on a thread. God bless him. God bless Jonathan Edwards for that image. you know, there's these ideas of God just exacting revenge on people when you think of God's wrath. Uh, let me define for you, I'll do my best this morning to try to describe, define God's wrath as I understand it. And again, I'm uh, I'm not a, a theologian or the son of a theologian, so this is my best effort. This is what you got. Sorry. Uh, but I think to understand God's wrath, we have to back up a little bit first and look at God's grace. So if you would go to the next slide for me, Emmy. The grace of God, we understand, is the unmerited favor of God. God's grace is given to us regardless of uh, how we uh, us doing anything to earn that. You can't earn it, can't buy it. Uh, it's just given to us freely. The only thing we have to do in regard to God's grace is receive it. It's there, free for the asking, free for the taking, but we do have to, we have to accept it. We have to receive God's grace into our lives. And so, uh, with that in mind, I believe the wrath of God is effectively this being left to the consequence of sin. It's what happens when we don't receive God's grace in our lives and sin bears fruit. For us. And we know where that ends, don't we? Because one more slide, Paul tells us this the wages of sin is death. The ultimate outcome of a sinful life without God's intervention, without God's grace, is death. And that, really, in my estimation, is the wrath of god it's It's him leaving us to our own uh and, and us then bearing the fruit of that life of sin without god's grace uh that really is the wrath of God uh coming into our lives i I appreciate here so much uh the n i v I don't know what translation you guys normally read. I typically teach out of the NIV. When I'm prepping and studying, I always try to compare translations. I look at two or three or sometimes four or five different translations. But I like the, the NIV here because he says, don't be partners with people that live that way. And I like the word, the choice of the use of the word partners, because uh what he's saying is, Or, what, let me say, what he's not saying is that we're not to ever associate with those people, with unbelievers. We're not to separate ourselves away from unbelievers. At different points in history, throughout the history of the church and different different groups, uh, you know, different denominations or, or, or sections of the church. There's been sort of this mindset that we want to separate ourselves out from the world around us. We want to be in our little Christian enclave here where it's safe and clean and good and nice. And we don't want to touch anybody outside of that. We don't want the dirt of the world to come into our lives. Um, and really, I don't believe that's what God called us to do, because I, I, my personal conviction is we are supposed to relate with people outside the body of Christ. We're supposed to talk to them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to be Jesus to them, and that requires proximity. It requires us to be in and around them, to work with them, to go to school with them, to live next door to them. Um, what he is saying is just don't join their team. Okay, uh, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Uh, sometimes I, I think this happens. Sometimes young Christians, maybe when you are you're in high school, you're in a great church youth group, and you have a lot of good Christian friends, and then you go off to college, and you get to college, and all of a sudden there's all this stuff going on around you, and you think, oh well, just go out there a little bit and try that and that. And The next thing you know, you've kind of crossed over, and you're in the other team. Uh, and so I think that's what Paul's saying here. Not that we don't associate with other people outside of the body of Christ, but, but that we really don't join them and go into business with them, so to speak, and, and begin to, uh, redirect the course of our life based on how their lives are, are, are operated. Does that make sense? Somebody nod. Somebody say yes. Help me a little bit. Gosh, it's hot. realize it's not that hot. Um, Let me make one little more uh, further comment about the wrath of God. Uh, And that is simply this, that God's wrath is God's anger against sin. It's God's anger against sin. That's helpful for me in understanding that it's God gets angry at sin. Why does God get angry at sin? Why does God in effect actually hate sin? Um, The reason is simply this, because he loves people and sin hurts people. That's why God gets angry at sin, because he loves people and sin hurts people. I was was trying to get a grip on that this week, and I, I was thinking about it. So, this is what I equated it with. I I get angry. Now I'm not God in case there was any confusion, but I do find myself getting angry when I see someone that hurts, you know, children or other vulnerable people. There's something inside of me that just goes, man, that ain't right. You know, uh, there was a weird thing happened a couple of years ago, sort of a trend where guys would go around and they would see somebody on a street corner and just randomly punch them. Did you see that? I, it was weird, like fad. And, uh, and typically, oftentimes they would do it to elderly people, which I just like, that is the sickest thing. And then it, it, during kind of COVID pandemic, there became sort of this, anti-Asian sort of mindset in people's minds. And I saw this video on the on some news, I don't know where, everything's on video, everything gets captured today. But I saw this video of this guy, there was just this Asian woman standing on a street corner, and she's about this big, you know, like five feet tall, probably weighed all of 85 pounds, and this dude comes up and just punches her and knocks her down. And uh, this thing inside of me I, mean, I have a divided heart. Part, part of me, we were talking about this this morning, part of me is thinking, what happened in that guy's life to make him like that? But the other part of me inside was kind of going, you know what? Put me in a room with that guy for about five minutes, and I'll teach him to respect his elders. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going, that ain't right. You don't do that. And there's this anger thing inside of me that says, I don't like the way that... That person was treated by that other person. And that's sort of how I got in touch a little bit with God's wrath, that he doesn't like sinful behavior towards one another because he loves us so much. I don't know if that's a great illustration or not. It's the best I could come up with. Uh, but it's, it's it's just the best I could do to try to understand God's wrath, uh, his anger towards sin. All let right, let's, let's move on to verse 18. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, for you were once darkness, past tense, but now present you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, in but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, Wake up, sleep, arise rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. To understand that text a little bit, for context, sort of, I want to look at an Old Testament passage. So if you'd go one more for me. This is Isaiah chapter 6. It's Isaiah describing coming into the presence of God. He says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. You know, the, the, like, it's like a wedding dress, and the train is the thing behind. And the one that God was wearing on his robe was so big and so full, it filled the whole temple. And above him were seraphim. Each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips." and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. By all accounts, Isaiah was actually a pretty good guy. You know, in in the Old Testament, you got your Davids, you got your Abrahams, you got your Samsons, you got any number of guys that kind of went off the rails a little bit. We have no indication that that ever happened with the life of Isaiah and in fact one of the things i love about reading the book of isaiah is that throughout the whole thing he seems to just have this incredible compassionate heart he's he's compassionate he's passionate he's he's gracious he's kind everything about uh, you know isaiah seems to be just like really really good and he sees god and he says woe to me woe to me and I think that's the key. Why does he say that? What What makes Isaiah feel that way? This good person feel that way in the presence of God? I saw the Lord. I, I think that's an actual photograph of Isaiah. It's not, but I like that one. Uh, he saw the Lord, and, and, and I think that's the thing. When you see God, and, and this is what happens, I, I believe in in, in worship as we come into the presence of God and all of a sudden things are different and we see, uh, you know, ourselves and we see the, we see light and we see dark and the the differentiation between light and dark becomes so abundantly clear. I think during the course of life, we just live in our lives, walking around, doing our thing. And sometimes uh, the, the lines between light and dark seem to get blurred a little bit. You know what I mean? But you come into the presence of God, and they're not blurred any longer. It becomes very, very clear. And, and this is, I, I think, what happens to us sometimes is when we walk in darkness, you lose your orientation. You lose direction. Um, you don't see things as they are, and sometimes you see things that aren't real, and you begin to believe those things. And, and I'll be honest, you know, that's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be, <coughs> Paul says, but now you're in the light. You're light in the Lord. Um, here's a little household hint for today. Um, don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself with other people. That is always a losing game you see this person and they are doing so good and their walk with God is so good. And you go, man, I, gosh, I wish I could be like Caleb. He's just such a good guy. He's so, he's got it all together. I can't, I don't, I feel like just such a terrible. And then on the other hand, you see somebody back there and you go, Oh, but I am glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. You know what I mean? And so there's this comparison thing and, it's a losing situation. There's always going to be, and, and I believe this is by design. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. Someone ahead of you that you can, you can move forward in that direction, and there's always going to be someone behind you. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, is that we walk together through those things. We don't compare ourselves with one another. What we really do together is just keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the goal. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, all of that sort of washes away. And next slide. The fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness is also listed as a... uh, Here it's a fruit of the light. In Galatians, Paul tells us goodness is also a fruit of the Spirit. Um, And it's interesting... Little uh, little Greek for you today. That word that's translated goodness here is not a part of ancient Greek vocabulary at all. That word is not found anywhere outside of the Bible. It's it's a it's uniquely uh, used in Scripture. And what it means is this: it it, it's, it, it indicates being intrinsically good. What that means is that it's, it's a fruit of your life that comes out of uh, a transformed nature. When, when our hearts and our lives are transformed in the presence of God, then we have goodness in us that wasn't there before. It's different <coughs> Sorry, I'm a, I have a little throat issue here. But it's different than just being a good person. Anybody can be a good person, right? And, and even a bad person can be good on a given day. But what Paul's talking about is something else that's different than that. It's, it's actually who you are in the core of your being. It's part of your nature. That's, that's good. And what that is, is, is inherently putting the interest and the benefit of others before yourself. And I don't know if you've experienced that. As you walk with Christ and you spend time in Jesus, you find yourself thinking less and less about your needs and your desires and your wants and more and more about those of others around you. And that's the fruit of the light. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what God does in our lives as He transforms us. And then He talks about righteousness. Now, righteousness has... You know, I was going to fire you earlier... Now I think I'll just give you a raise. I'll double your pay. I told you, double your pay. Righteousness has two dimensions to it, and this is important. so that righteousness has a personal integrity and a heart for community justice. And they go together. One without the other is incomplete, and it's not righteousness. So let me give you an example. If you're protesting against injustice, but your behavior during your protest is as bad or worse than what you're protesting against, that's not righteousness. Does that make any sense? Don and I took our son out to dinner the other night. Went downtown. It's the first time I've been downtown in a long time, and it broke my heart to drive around downtown Portland. Uh, we've lived here in this area for 26 years, I think, and throughout that time, I have always loved to go downtown, loved to go out to eat there. Uh, you know, when I, there's been times when I would actually. Just drive down to the Starbucks uh, that's on the corner of Pioneer Square there in the, in the square, and I would sit outside there and study because I liked being downtown. And we drove around the other night and looked at the damage and the destruction and the graffiti and the boarded up windows and the mess, and it broke my heart. And I thought, look. It's been a tough time in the history of our country, and there's been some injustices which people should be upset about. But I don't think this is the answer to that. And it just made me long for and pray for the righteousness of God where personal integrity is as much a part of righteousness as that community justice And I just I just challenge us as a people to keep that in mind. I think we should be upset with injustice and we should stand against injustice, but we should never stand against injustice in a way that are that what we do is as bad or worse as what we're coming against. I don't know. That's just something that was rattling in my head about this. The third thing he says, uh, you know, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And truth is truth. That's what it is. It's just being honest. Being honest about who we are, who God is, and speaking truth into people's lives. And we have talked about that recently. Uh, and then uh, next slide, he says this, find out what pleases the Lord. So, so I, I want to describe that a little bit to you because... It's not a mystery. It's not like you have to seek out and find what pleases the Lord. He just told you what pleases the Lord. The whole previous passage. So what Paul's saying here is this. When you do these things, you'll find out what pleases the Lord. As you do them, you'll realize this is a life that pleases the Lord. How will you know that? When we walk in the presence of God, when we walk in goodness, righteousness and truth, How do we know we're pleasing the Lord? I'll tell you how you know. Because you sense and know His presence in your life. God becomes very real in ways. All of a sudden, you hear Him, you feel Him, you see Him in in all kinds of ways and places that you didn't before. it really is a beautiful thing to, to be in that place where God is just that close. And you know that your heart is in sync with His. And that's what happens when we walk in the light. So, uh, he kind of, he's beginning to wrap up. He says, in the same way, uh, that we're not to partner with those who do wrong, we're to have nothing to do, nothing to do at all with those fruitless deeds. Uh, and we realize before it's too late that it all comes into the light. And then he closes going more. I love this little phrase. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Wherever we've been, wherever we've come from, whatever our history, we come into the presence of God. He illuminates our hearts. And we then become light to those around us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? But whatever you've done, wherever you've been, it doesn't matter. God, that's not what's important. What's important is the light of God has come into you. And um, now you become a light for other people. He closes with this uh, this quote, uh, which is uh, mysterious. There's no uh, we don't know where it comes. It's not in the Old Testament. He says it's probably a hymn, but I don't know that. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What are you doing? Come on, go. Amen
0: thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you next week.